0: Welcome back to Salty Saints Podcast. I am Zach, and I'm sitting here with Randy Spate. What's up, Randy? I am doing well, Zach. I shoveled the snow, and uh, here I am. Hey, good deal. I did not shovel any snow today, <laughs> and Jason had to come save me. Because
1: I hear you were snowbound.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, they they shoveled all the snow uh, to, to make the roads clean and then piled it up about three feet behind every single person in my apartment complex's car. So the roads are clear, but you can't use them. They (laughs) did the very same
1: thing to us, and it took me about five minutes to shovel out uh, the uh, driveway. And then I decided, hey, I'll just pop right over that uh, snow-shoveled, the truck's, About a two-foot high thing. I'll just pop right over that because it's only
0: about three feet wide. (laughs) took me 20 minutes to get out. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Uh, As you can tell, it's snowy here in Indiana. And no, it is not always snowy in Indiana. Honestly, for like how many years now has it just been totally – we really haven't had much snow at all. Really, it's been like three years or so. And
1: this is the first really big snow that I can remember in quite some time. Yeah. But I love
0: snow, so it's all good. We, I have a love hate relationship with it. <laughs> yeah, I don't love shoveling it, but I love making snow ice cream. I, I literally, I, I was walking, I, I work at a barber shop as well. Uh, and I was walking out of the barber shop, and it was snowy, and it was so beautiful. And I was like, wow, this is so peaceful. And then I got in my car, and I started to try and move, and within five minutes, I was the angriest person that has ever walked the planet Earth. And it's just incredible how it can just kind of flip on you like that, you know. But we're not talking about snow today. We are talking about something way greater than that. We are still working our way through the Apostles' Creed. And we've talked about God the Father. We have talked about Jesus. And today we're talking about the Holy Spirit.
1: So this kind of wraps up... uh, the Apostles' Creed. Yep. And uh, that that section on the Holy Spirit, um, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. It's kind of a miscellaneous catch-all, but today I think we need to talk about the
0: Holy Spirit.
1: And the church.
0: I was going to say, you said Holy Catholic Church, and there's no way you're allowed to say that without clearing things up. <laughs> right, right. We'll come back
1: at the end and do that.
0: Um, so God the Father. God the Father is – that's that's like probably the first thing you think of when you think about God, right?
1: It, you, you think about,
0: first of all, something bigger
1: than life, something just absolutely enormous. And in my mind, you know, the Sistine chapel comes to mind. Right. You've got God who's about 40 feet tall, reaching out a massive finger to this little tiny finger of Adam who's six feet tall.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, I I get that image of uh, Isaiah 6 in the throne room of God, and the train of his robe fills the entire... Room and he's got these dragon well, I won't go there because that's a whole other thing but seraphim. These like, Or seraphim seraphim, seraphim, seraphim. Seraphim covering their eyes and shouting, holy, 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 and, you know, it's this epic moment. And that's what I see in my head when I see God the Father, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you got Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus is just like you and me. Yeah. But the way we were supposed to be. <laughs> exactly. And so he's God in physical human Flesh and blood. Yeah. He is the God-man. And so then what's the Holy Spirit? Well, then you got the Holy Spirit, and this huge question
1: mark comes to my mind because it's it's not that it's not clear. It's just that it's really hard to
0: describe. It's kind of like trying to describe the Trinity in a lot of ways. Yeah,
1: it is. It is. So God the Father I think of, and this is, probably in spatial terms which is completely and totally inappropriate god the father's in heaven right god the son jesus he walked around with us that's god in in flesh and bone right. a, a human body then you have the holy spirit what comes to my mind is that is god in us that is uh, we talk about I don't know, we describe it to our children, uh, accepting Jesus into your heart. It's probably more appropriate to say, accept the Holy Spirit into your heart.
0: But it is the Holy Spirit of Christ. I mean, like, it's it, it's, it's really tough, right?
1: First Peter talks about the Spirit of Christ, and uh, very much so. And I think we'll come back later on today, uh, John 14 to 16. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit in those terms, because I go to the Father the Holy Spirit can now
0: come to you, right? It's it's very much it, like it's hard to talk about the Holy Spirit without getting into like the Trinitarian kerfluffle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Now, Zach, we watched a uh, Bible Project video, yeah, just before we started here, and it makes a little bit different point. Uh, really, it's kind of the same, but the way they described it?
0: Um, in short, they basically, they were really using the imagery of like the creation, that in the creation, you know, we have this God, uh, God is hovering above the waters, the spirit of God is hovering above these chaotic waters, and the earth is formless and void, you know, and then from that chaos, God makes something beautiful, Right. And then man comes about, God makes man, man messes it up. And then um, God brings his Holy Spirit back through Jesus to come back into the lives of those that will believe in Christ and what he did and who he is to bring order and beauty back into these dark, broken lives of these people. Um, And then they also talked about, you know, the spirit uh, having influenced various people throughout the Bible to uh, like Joseph. It was talking about his ability to to uh, interpret dreams through God Um, or uh, what was the guy? Uh, Bezalel. Bezalel that made all the things for the uh, tabernacle. Um, He was an artist. So they define the Holy Spirit as energy.
1: Yeah. And they do that by using uh, the, the Hebrew word. And it's actually, the very same thing in Greek, so the Hebrew word ruach means spirit. It means wind, and it means breath. Mm-hmm. So in Genesis one two, you have the spirit of God on the face of the deep, sort of organizing everything and and uh, bringing about the possibility of creation. Then, when God creates man, he breathes into man his own ruach, mm-hmm. his own spirit, his own breath.
0: And, and just to touch on that, too, something I've noticed um, I like arguing with people that the Bible never explicitly states that animals don't have, uh, that animals don't go to heaven. I just, it's a fun point to argue. I, I I don't know. I don't know where the Bible stands on it, to be honest. But I think all the arguments for why they say they don't, don't make sense. And one of the things that brought me to is the conclusion that when Noah is told to bring two of everything, every animal onto the ark, God says, two of every animal, everything that has the ruah, The breath. The breath of life. Yeah. And so God's life is sustaining everything. It's not just people. It's this whole world is sustained by God's breath.
1: Animals also, they have personalities. Mm-hmm. You have uh, pleasant dogs and you have nasty dogs. Right. <laughs> and, of course, all cats <laughs> are the spawn of Satan. Get out it's... of here. Get out of here. <laughs> We're about ready to get a cat, so <laughs> <laughs> I could only talk to this outside of my own home. <laughs> um in the new testament the very same thing the the word numa in the new testament is the word spirit and it's the word wind and it's the word for breath so exactly almost a a point for point translation of ruach and that's in the, Old the that's the greek and that's the greek that's yeah. really interesting cuz yeah. those
0: are really two very different languages, yeah, well, yeah. They're completely disassociated. The
1: structure is very different, and yet in this one, uh, in, in this one, I'm, I'm going to use a, an unusual term. This one word has the same range of meanings in both Hebrew and in Greek, and that's it's amazing.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah,
1: that's. uh yeah, that's, that's – uh, we, we uh, use the word pneuma in our language today. We talk about pneumatics. Uh, a pneumatic hammer is an air hammer. It's a oh. hammer that's powered by air. Okay. Yeah. Pneumatic drills, they're air drills. They're powered by air. There again, energy. Energy is transferred through the air.
0: Um, without taking us too far off track, isn't the Greek term for soul anima? For anima?
1: I think that's Latin. The Greek word for soul is, um, oh boy, I just had it when you started saying, and now it's left me. But... Um,
0: Those are disassociated terms, though, right? They're not the same thing.
1: They are different. Right. They are different. Okay. Yeah, the soul is not the spirit. The right. spirit is not the soul.
0: And, and that's something we run into, I think, in other places biblically. but. Right. um, right. But yeah, so so like the the Holy Spirit isn't like the soul of God, is I guess what I'm saying here. It's no, it's more, it, it's a person.
1: It's absolutely, it's a person, it's a distinct individual uh, of the same essence yeah. as God, just like Jesus. Right. So it's yet another thing where you look at it and and say, um, not three gods, one God. But three persons. Now it is interesting that in the Old Testament you do have quite a few more references to the Spirit. There are actually two references in the Old Testament that are translated "Holy Spirit," and it's more—it's more technically the Spirit of Holiness. Mm. But one of those is uh, Psalm fifty-one, where David confesses his sin. Uh, the, the sin of murdering Uriah and taking Bathsheba as his wife. And in the middle of that, he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, what David says is don't take the spirit of holiness from me. I'm not sure that David had a sense. In fact, I go out on a limb here and say David did not believe that this was a separate uh, identity of God. Uh David was really just saying, don't take your presence from me. Don't 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 withdraw
0: yourself from me. But but in a sense though, he's saying the same thing. Oh yeah. That's the really interesting part. I, I really think it's strange to me that it feels like David has a grasp of the Trinity without realizing David has a grasp of the Trinity. He says some things like the, and my Lord said to my Lord, you know, those kind of things where it's like, he's right there, and, but I don't think he fully understands what he's saying.
1: And Jesus came back and quoted that. He quoted that to the Pharisees, who they were the ones that really studied the Bible. And he said, uh, how does David say this? And they couldn't answer him. Right? They, they didn't have an answer for it. Yeah.
0: It, it, it's pretty, pretty wild. What was the other... Verse. Well, the other
1: one was Isaiah 63, verse 10, where, uh, again, you know, the prophets had uh, a solid grasp of, of what was going on. And uh, in Isaiah sixty-three ten, Isaiah says, they rebelled against him and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy and fought against them. Um, there again, I'm not sure that Isaiah really has a solid sense of a trinity here, a a different uh, person of the Godhead, and yet when he speaks about God, he speaks about the Spirit in terms that just seem to,
0: uh,
1: he's right there. He's almost saying it.
0: Isn't that, kind of what the Holy Spirit does to us though. He gives us an understanding of things that we really, that are outside of us. Like he prompts us to live in a way that we are not hardwired to live. Um, He, he makes us who we really aren't, you know, like, or who we, who we ourselves haven't chosen to be maybe, but then he gives us this this nuisance of who we are. And I mean, is that not kind of what's happening there too? You know, he's prompting Isaiah to understand this thing that Isaiah really probably doesn't fully understand, you know,
1: the, uh, other way of referring to the Holy spirit in the old Testament. We've, we've already talked about one of them, the spirit of God, uh, spirit of God is mentioned in Genesis one, two spirit of God rested on the deep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then all of creation happens. And, um, other authors in the Old Testament come back, refer to the Spirit of God. Even Jesus, at one point, he says, if um, if your sons are casting out demons and I cast them out by the Spirit of God, then how do you explain that? Uh, when he talks about His action, his energy to remove a demonic spirit from a person, he says that comes from the Spirit of God. He doesn't use the word Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus doesn't use the word Holy Spirit until John 14 to 16, uh, the night that he dies. So he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. That's really spelled out in uh, what takes place after Jesus, primarily in the book of Acts, but then also uh, the epistles come back and refer to the Holy Spirit as well.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay. Now, a third way that the Old Testament talks about the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Yahweh. And uh, that is probably the preferential way that the Old Testament talks about the Holy Spirit. There is one passage that I wanted to point out in Isaiah chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Here it is. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So obviously here, this, the the branch coming out of uh, David's uh, uh, stump is the Messiah, and the spirit of the Lord rests on him. Now, if you think of Jesus's baptism...
0: That's what I was going to say.
1: Every single time Jesus' baptism is mentioned, it says the Holy Spirit rested on him. That is not the way you would normally describe uh, seeing something come down out of heaven and descend over an individual, that it rested on him. Maybe it uh, uh, jumped on him, or maybe it overpowered him, or or maybe it uh, descended on him but every single one says that it rested on him. And it's referring back to this verse.
0: So I, I'm not, uh, this is a genuine question. This isn't loaded or anything because I, I don't know. Um, but I know like the other, the other times throughout scripture where the Holy Spirit influences other people, does it use the term rested? No, not always. I'm trying to think of another case where it
1: does. He comes on, I actually, uh, I went through the New Testament at one point and looked up every single way that the Holy Spirit's interaction with human beings is described, and there are 47 different ways. Wow. The Spirit came on, the Spirit descended on, rested on, uh, uh, Spirit filled, walk in the Spirit, live by the Spirit, um, but with and Jesus, on and on and on. Every
0: single time, it's rested on. It's
1: him. Uh, yeah, at least at the baptism, at the, the baptism, spirit rested right. on him.
0: But that's yeah. where his ministry starts. That's right, right, that's right. And I think that's why it's
1: so important to make that point. Okay, this is the branch that comes out of the stump of David's family. Right,
0: that's like his inauguration.
1: It is right. It is. But the way the spirit is described here, it's the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of understanding, and um, on and on and on. Now, <clears throat> at one point in the past, you said something to me about Lady Wisdom. Ooh, I was hoping we were going here. Well, let's go there, Zach. Well, not just tell not us just, a little bit about that.
0: Well, not just proverbs, proverbs, but it's Ecclesiastes as well. Um, wisdom is the heart of those things,
1: and it's also the Book of Exodus. And w- when when the spirit comes on Bezalel. Uh, It says that, and God gave Bezalel wisdom to, basically, Bezalel was a finished carpenter and he crafted furniture and he made furniture that literally lasted a thousand years. It lasted from Moses's time until the destruction of the temple, at least.
0: That's pretty good. I've a got some ideas. Yeah, I don't they, think would quite they hold it. Might up.
1: not make it a thousand <laughs> years. But Bezalel apparently was doggone good at what he did because that furniture stuck around for a really long time.
0: So before so okay, before I get into Lady Wisdom, I just want to ask, is Joe lumped in there as well? Um Actually, he is. Uh, Job, I was
1: looking just before I came in. The Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord occurs about 20 times in the book of Job. Okay. It's amazing. Well, I just know
0: that Job is always considered to be one of the wisdom books. It is. Right. So I I figured there was a a bridge there. Um, But wisdom, uh, lady wisdom. Um, the, The way I best understand it and correct me if i'm wrong is that wisdom is not the same as the spirit it's not the same thing
1: i think you're right in saying that
0: but wisdom comes from the lord and comes from the spirit and all creation had wisdom woven into it that that god has woven into his creation this system of right and wrong and good and 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 like As long as you live by wisdom, as long as you live wisely, as long as you live in the spirit of God, generally, that's going to produce good.
1: And in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified. Right. Wisdom stands in the street and calls out and people have a chance to respond or walk away.
0: Right. In fact, the the story is – is is Proverbs – uh like a, it's a mother talking to her son or a parent talking to or their or a, son yeah, yeah. right and and talking about lady wisdom right about about saying like go to her listen to her you know she'll take care of you uh in fact it even says like she was there at creation like like she's been oh wow. i let, i need to find that verse i don't i don't want to make stuff up but i i'm 99% sure uh wisdom at the creation uh yeah. Proverbs eight twenty two through 31. I, wisdom, was with the Lord when he began his work, long before he made anything else. I was created in the very beginning, even before the world began. I was born before there were oceans uh, or springs wow. overflowing with water, before the hills were there, before the mountains were put in place. God had not made the earth or fields, not even the first dust of the earth. I was there when God put the skies in place, when he stretched the horizon over the oceans, when he made the clouds above and put the deep underground springs in place. I was there when he ordered the sea not to go beyond the borders he'd set. I was there when he laid the earth's foundation. I was like a child by his side. I was delighted every day, enjoying his presence all the time, enjoying the whole world and delighted with all its people. And so, yeah, wisdom isn't it's not the Holy Spirit, but it's a fruit of the spirit. It's the spirit brings wisdom. It's good. It's it's the way we're meant to live. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Now, we come into the New Testament, and of course we see quite a bit of teaching about the Holy Spirit in um, the epistles, in the book of Acts and in the epistles. But I always like to look and see what Jesus has to say about any particular topic. And he actually does talk quite a bit about the Holy Spirit but he doesn't do it until John 14 to 16. He does it just hours before his crucifixion. Uh, he, he gives a discourse, a sermon, sort of the parting shot at the 11 disciples because very pointedly Judas leaves before chapter 14. And as Jesus is teaching, he punctuates this teaching with four references to the Holy Spirit. Now, first of all, he starts off by calling the Holy Spirit the paracletos. Uh, that is so hard to translate that some translations actually say the paraclete. Uh, they just transliterate the Greek term, sort of put an English ending on it, the paraclete. What it refers to, what it actually means, para is... Um, Alongside of, and lethos is to stand by. So it's the person who stands alongside of one. Sometimes that's translated as a lawyer or an advocate, because this is the person, a lawyer, even today, stands at your side and expresses what you want to say in a vocabulary and a structure that the judge finds meaningful. You want to talk about your story. The judge doesn't want to hear that. The judge wants to hear what are the legal parameters in your story. And your paraclete, your lawyer, will take what you had to say and put it in words that the judge says, oh, okay, so that's how that applies here.
0: So what is so cool about what you're saying right now? is the Holy Spirit is essentially our lawyer before God, right? That's right. Satan means accuser, which is a legal position for a, uh, like a prosecutor. Right. And so if Satan is the one saying, no, look at what they've done wrong. Look at this. Then you've got the Holy Spirit is the one bailing us out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's, that's so cool. I didn't realize that.
1: Now, another translation of that term is counselor, because again, what does a counselor do? He stands by your side when you're going through a tough time, and he helps you get through it. Uh, That describes what the Holy Spirit does, too. So he uses the term paraclete to refer to the Holy Spirit, and then four different times he talks about the paraclete. Now, New Living Translation uses the word advocate. So John 14, verse 16, I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate. Jesus was the first one. He was the first one actually physically standing besides the disciples. So I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. Jesus is about to leave him. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So the first role of the Holy Spirit is to lead us
0: into truth. That's really powerful too, saying he'll never leave you. I mean, that's <laughs> that's, that's that's a forever. bold statement. Yeah, it I is. mean, I mean and we know okay, sorry this kind of leads me into this though, we can grieve him. Oh yeah. We we can we can choose not to listen. Do you think that means though that we're no longer saved by him? Or do you think that that's more?
1: I, 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 mean... I No, I don't think that it means that we are no longer saved. I do think that it means we got a problem. Right, right. <laughs> There's something here we got to fix. Right. I fight with my wife. That doesn't mean we're no longer married. What it means is, I better fix this. I better stop what I'm doing and whatever we were fighting about, let's work our way through it. Find the solution. Right. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. And spoiler alert, he's never wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's
1: got to change. It's me. It's not him.
0: (laughs) Right. If if you're at odds uh, with what you're doing. Probably a good reason for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So. So the Spirit leads us to truth. Um,
1: I think part of that is directed at the 11 who were sitting around the table with Jesus because they were about to enter a period of time. When they were going to have a
0: whole lot of questions. And they were going to, I mean, they're going to lay the foundation for the faith.
1: So they better have truth when they do that. Right. So Jesus says, hey, that's why I'm sending you the spirit. He's going to lead you into truth. But today it goes beyond just those 11. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth as well. Now, one of the ways that he uses lead us in the truth is through his word. But one of the ways the the word gives us great theology, it gives us a guide for living, but it doesn't tell us, do I take the job in Nashville or do I stay here in Indianapolis? Right. <laughs> I think there is a sense in which as we go to God, uh, the Holy Spirit leads us to truth. The Holy Spirit helps us figure out what we need to be doing with our life. Right, right,
0: and that doesn't make him a genie. No, <laughs> no, it's not Which, a magic eight ball sort of thing. <laughs> I think sometimes we we fall into that uh, that way of thinking, though. Um, yeah.
1: So the second thing Jesus uh, goes on talking a little bit. The second punctuation mark, comes in John 14, verse 26. When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, Jesus comes back and he says it again. He wants them to catch the vocabulary. Right. <laughs> you can call him the Holy Spirit. He is your paraclete. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I've told you. So here again there is a sense in which that's intended for the 11 guys seated around the table. The rest of the new Testament comes from these guys. Now there are two books, maybe three that are written by people who weren't directly or indirectly around the table. There's more in that when you throw Paul in the mix, but Paul is kind of the 12th disciple after Judas kills himself. Um, the lord comes to paul personally but then you get jude and and uh, james and maybe the author of hebrews
0: who's who's the guy that's there for one verse <laughs> in acts they appoint him as the 12th oh uh matthias Meta, Meta, matthias or metathias or yeah. something like that yeah, yeah. it's like where do you get and you go never hear this? from him again. <laughs> yeah, i guess it didn't work out
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and then you get paul and there's like 20 chapters dedicated to right, Paul. Right. So yeah, that was God's choice. <laughs> right. Right.
0: That's how I've always kind of assumed.
1: And I think you're absolutely right there. So he he he'll he'll teach them about Jesus. He'll remind them of what Jesus said. And when when you think about it, the disciples are writing the gospel some 10 to 20 years after all of this took place. They don't start writing the gospel until they begin to see a lot of Christians dying. And they start thinking, oh, (laughs) maybe we need more than just an oral tradition. Maybe I need to write some of this stuff down. Well, the Spirit's there to help them remember. The Spirit's there to, to guide them in that. In fact, we talk about the Bible as being inspired, that's the root of the word spirit. It is oh, literally it's in the spirit. It's God breathed. Yeah. It is the breath being placed in and it's God's breath that's being placed in them. Hmm. So that's the idea of inspiration.
0: That's that's why you hear people say all scripture is God breathed. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. Yeah. Same, same term.
1: It's the very same term. Okay. Yeah. So, but there again, it applies to those 11. It applies to us today. Because how do we really understand about Jesus? We're reading a book that's 2000 years old. And there are parts of this book that are strange, Zach. I don't know if you've seen that, but there are parts of the Bible that I look at and I read it and I reread it and I reread it again. And I come away scratching my head saying, what in the world are they trying right. to say Then I pray about it and it's like dots are connected with other passages. And I think it's literally, it's a different type of inspiration. But I think the Holy Spirit works in us today to guide us to the truth about Jesus.
0: That's, that's one of the most interesting things about the Bible to me is any time I have ever set out to understand a part of the Bible that just did not make sense to me. And I sometimes I read something and I'm, I'm almost met with like I'm, I'm afraid of it because I read it and I'm like, that feels like a contradiction or that feels like that doesn't make sense. The deeper I dig and the more I go to God with it and say, Sh- show me what this means, he always makes sense of it. Whether yeah. or not it fully unfolds as, like, oh, I 100% know what this means, I always get to a point where I'm like, oh, okay, it doesn't mean that. You know? <laughs> like yeah, it's, exactly. It, it's interesting.
1: I've had that happen to me a lot. In fact, there are portions of the Bible, just very, very frankly and very bluntly, I do not understand. And that appear to me that they're contradicting other parts of the Bible. Right. What I now believe, what I've, what I've, come to understand is that if I really understood it, it wouldn't be contradicting or contradictory at all. Uh, the problem is not the Bible. The problem is me. Right. So I'm willing to take some contradictions because when I have dug deep, I've found the answer. So I don't have to dig deep on every little thing to find all of the answers because Every time I've done it, it's there. Right. I'm going like, to believe that it's that I don't understand exactly. it, not that the Bible is contradictory. It, every itself. time
0: you've put it to the test to make sense, it always does. It does. So when something doesn't make sense, you don't feel like you need to go jump to it right then to go figure it out. That's right. Because you know it's going to make sense. Like, That's right. That's right. <laughs> but you know, still, go go for it. Study. It can't hurt. <laughs>
1: the third time that Jesus punctuates. Uh, his his uh, discourse to the disciples is in chapter 15, verses 26, 27. I'll send you the advocate, the Spirit of truth. This time he calls him the Spirit of truth. It's obviously connected to the Holy Spirit before where he says, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He will come to you from the Father and he will testify all about me. You must also testify about me because you've been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Now, here he says he'll testify, and he uses, again, a legal term. It's to formally give a testimony. And the idea of a testimony is that it validates, it authenticates. You say, this is what happened. Your adversaries, oh, no, no, that is what happened. I stand up and give my testimony and say, no, what Zach is saying is true. This is what happened. It wasn't that. That validates you. That validates what you have said. It authenticates what you have said. The advocate comes and teaches us about Jesus. He authenticates and validates what we know about Jesus. Again, this applied to the 11 that were sitting around the table In fact, Jesus says, you 11 guys, you're going to leave here. You're going to have to share the story. It's on you now because I'm leaving and the Holy Spirit is going to be working through you, not in spite of you. Right. (laughs) So you've got to testify of this as well. It applied to them. It applies to us. In two ways. First of all, the Holy Spirit authenticates what Jesus says about himself because what Jesus says about himself and specifically the changes that he can make in our life, Holy Spirit makes them. He makes those changes. And we stand back and we see it. It's a proven, um, proven but, but, often rejected reality that people of faith have a significant uh, better chance of overcoming addiction, of getting out of a life of crime, of being able to leave uh, uh, sexual addictions, and on and on and on people of faith people who look to Jesus can find delivery now it's often rejected simply because the world rejects what
0: they can't see I think it's also rejected because it it puts everything on top of its head for somebody that doesn't believe um, you Very go true. from you go from being the master of your own destiny to oh I'm not that that's right jesus is you know and then that's got to be hard i mean it is it's hard for christians it, i mean i i don't just wake up every day and man i just i want to work really hard today and and do the difficult stuff because it's the right thing to do you know <laughs> like, it's not always that way i mean there's there, there's still that temptation to not do what's right you know that's right. absolutely right um so what is the Holy Spirit not? Like, there, I feel like there's a lot of definitions out there on what the Holy Spirit is that I don't think can be supported biblically. Give me a couple of them. <sighs> that, okay, uh, the first one that comes to mind is, like, the the Bethel approach. Um for those of you that love Bethel music, I'm sorry to crush all your hopes and dreams, but I don't like it. Uh, the music's great, but I don't love the message behind it. Um, like, Bill Johnson, in one of his books, basically says that there are so many gifts of the Spirit. And the funny thing is, the ones he starts naming are not are not the ones mentioned biblically. I mean, like, the, they, they talk about, like, laying on top of graves and soaking up the anointing of dead saints. And, like... Teleportation and communion with your guardian angel, like to speak with your guardian angels, and all these we like glitter coming down from the ceiling and stuff, and it's like angel dust, basically, is what they call it, and like mm. all this stuff, and it's like that's nowhere, that's nowhere in this book, <laughs> like no. you know. No, no, and, no. It, um, the other one would be that proof of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues um which i do believe that can be a proof of the holy spirit um i don't personally i don't know how i feel about the whole like speaking the like prayer language thing
1: yeah um paul talks about the tongues of angels which some people say are uh, is is a prayer language the word prayer language never occurs in scripture, for one thing. And secondly, Paul talks about hearing the tongues of angels in the same book in which he describes a vision in which he entered heaven. Heaven. Right. And heard the tongues of angels. Right. So, you know, what was Paul talking about there? Was he talking about his ecstatic experience right. of actually going to heaven? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Mm. Do all who are filled with the Spirit need to speak in
0: tongues? That's really what I'm getting at here.
1: No, they don't. Right. Um, Those who say they do will go to the book of Acts and say every time the Holy Spirit uh, came on a person in the book of Acts, you have the gift of tongues. And they look at Acts chapter 2 and then Uh, Philip in Acts chapter 8. Cornelius. Um, Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And then in Acts 18, when Paul uh, talks to the disciples of John and they accept the Lord, they also speak in tongues. Well, the point of that, Philip in Acts chapter 8 is sharing the gospel beyond Judaism He's speaking to Samaritans. When they accept the Lord, they begin to speak in tongues. And Philip and Peter and John, who are all there, all say, Look, the Holy Spirit has come on them just like he came on us. It's not about their need to speak in tongues. It's about the disciples' need to see that there is no difference. When Peter goes to Cornelius, leads can, him to can, the Lord. Real yeah.
0: quick, can you explain that a little better? Like when you say speaking in tongues there, what are you referring to? Um
1: Well, hey, in Acts chapter two, the tongues are apparently earthly languages of okay. other people. And that's where I That I'm is told. not as clear in Acts chapter eight. It says that they spoke in tongues, but it doesn't say that people around them heard them in their own languages. Right. So I'm not sure what Acts 8 refers to. Right. Same thing in chapter 10 when Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius, who is a Roman soldier. When he accepts the Lord, he also speaks in tongues as does his family. And again Peter says they spoke in tongues just like we did. The issue is not that Cornelius needed to speak in tongues, but the disciples needed to see that the same Spirit that came on them has now come on Cornelius. It's
0: proof that the Gentiles are
1: receiving Christ. And that is exactly what it is. You also have Paul receiving, uh, accepting the Lord, receiving the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter, I think it's 9 no mention of the use of tongues.
0: There's no tongues when Jesus receives the Holy Spirit at his baptism. In fact, Jesus performs all of the
1: gifts that are mentioned in Scripture except tongues and the interpretation
0: of tongues. Right. Um, That we were talking about this verse also. Um, And and here's the deal. We're not trying to to shatter your worldview of speaking in tongues. Uh, I am completely open to the possibility that there is an angelic prayer language that people speak in. I have never experienced it. There
1: are so many people who do. I can't believe that they're all deceived or, right. or false. Right. I think the gift of tongues is a valid gift. The Bible mentions it. Uh, it doesn't go into a great deal of explanation exactly. about
0: what it is um and so what what we are saying though is there are certain uh groups of people um who would say you have not received the holy spirit if you don't speak in tongues and i believe that is outright heresy um to to state that you don't have the spirit because you can't do this when the Bible specifically states, not all will do this.
1: There's a great story that comes out of uh, the the revival around Charles Finney. At the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, Charles Finney was a lawyer, and uh, he had grown up in the church, but he really didn't have a relationship with the Lord. He, one day, discouraged about his own spiritual life, went into a woods. There was a tree stump there. He knelt by this tree stump, and he basically stayed there for three days until God got a hold of him. He came out, and he was saved. He shared that experience with somebody else, and they said, I want it too. What do I need to do? Finney took him into the woods, showed him the stump, put him there, and said, stay here. Uh, <laughs> All of us tend to want other people to have exactly what we have. Right. So I understand when someone speaks in tongues and it is a deeply spiritual act for them that they want the people that they love to have that too. But the reality is that doesn't always take place. And it's okay that it doesn't take place. I can have just as deep a relationship without speaking in tongues as my friend who does speak in tongues does
0: well let's can I this is, this is kind of a, a chunk of scripture, but can I read this uh, it's uh first Corinthians twelve um, I'm gonna read a few verses just sure. to put it all in context. Sure. Uh, University and diversity in the body just as a body though, one has many parts. But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of the smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And... He goes on to say, you know, the hand can't say to the, or the, eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, you know, all that sort of th- thing. But then we get to now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, then of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues are all apostles. Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so what what were you just telling me about the two ways to, to yeah, ask questions? Yeah, in Greek
1: there's two ways to ask a question. One is just a generic question, and uh, it's, it's – uh, the answer, I don't know what it is. But a rhetorical question has a grammatical structure in Greek, and it requires the answer, no. That's the way these questions are formed. Right. These are rhetorical questions, the answer to which is no. Are all apostles? No. Do all uh, have the gift of, mi- of healing of miracles? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. No.
0: Right. And so what we're saying is we got to get rid of the whole, if you don't act like I do, if you, sorry, if you don't speak in tongues like I do, you're not, you're not saved because that's just drawn dividing lines. Or you're not full of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You're not full of the Holy Spirit. Well, I mean, the Holy Spirit is our, he's our stamp of salvation. I mean, right. he, he is the way we know we're saved. Right. And so for you to then turn and look at somebody and say, oh, you, you don't really have him because you don't you don't speak like this. Come on. That's not cool. Like, that's <laughs> not okay. Um, and that's what I'm talking about. Um, are there any other things you, you see uh, people say about the Holy Spirit that don't fit biblically?
1: There probably are. None of them are, are coming to mind though.
0: I, I really, the, the, that, that's the big one for me is the speaking in tongues. And the second one is that people kind of use the Holy Spirit as like some kind of supernatural powers. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that is also outright. Well, I mean, maybe it
1: does merit a little bit of talk since we read 1 Corinthians 12 to speak a little bit about spiritual gifts. Four lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. There's a 1 Peter 4 passage which just says there's gifts of speaking and there's gifts of doing Uh, If you're going to speak, speak in God's power. If you're going to do work, serve in God's power. Great. Then you get the Romans 12, which are very, very normal type of things. Uh, Prophecy, teaching, service, exhortation, uh, leading, giving, and showing mercy, which is the gift of friendship. Uh, Very simple things. But when done, being energized by the Spirit, something special happens. You have the list in uh, Ephesians 4, 4.11, the apostle, prophet, teacher, shepherd, and uh, I missed one, evangelist. And uh, those are sort of the officers, the officials, the leaders, the people that God has given the church. And then you have the list of miraculous things that is in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And sometimes from time to time, the Holy Spirit can do these things. The Spirit does give us special abilities, but it's not like a genie magic special ability. It's more about the way he's wired us, the way he has created us to do things in a certain way. The prophet, uh, very sensitive to sin. The teacher, uh, he wants to know more and more. The uh, uh, evangelist, he's all about sharing the word. Uh, Showing mercy, it's all about what can I do to make you feel better? How can I be a friend and on and on and on. When the spirit is involved in doing that, good things
0: happen. It, it, it's it's almost like God's using you how you were made, but for his purposes, the way it was always intended to be. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's – you don't generally – like your talents don't change when you come to Christ generally. It's just that, you know, if you were – you know, really good at peddling drugs and and convincing people to buy your your product. <laughs> now you're really good at telling people about the gospel. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that sort of thing. Like it's it's the same abilities, but they're they're focused on the right things now. Right, right, right. Um, I noticed you looking at the clock, and me too. Uh, we've been going for a minute here, and I think we were we were guessing that this one was gonna be pretty simple and straightforward and tie up quick. We still wanted to cover the church. That's right. But I'm thinking maybe cut this one and then come back in next week and talk about the church. We have done
1: a two-part series every other time.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I I guess we just thought this one was going to be a whole lot easier to wrap up, but there's a lot to unpack.
1: There's a lot here. And I'm not sure yet we've really covered everything about the holy spirit
0: no way well we haven't covered everything about any of these topics. No, no that's true <laughs> that's
1: true but um, it's a good introduction i think hey one other thing um in john chapter 16 that final punctuation mark is uh the holy spirit convicts uh, john 16 5 to 8 the word conviction is used there like four times um There is a reality in which, when the Spirit is living in us and we sin, it's like a hyper conscience that says, Oh no, why did you do that? Yeah, Uh, the Holy Spirit convicts. Now, He convicts people who don't know Him of their sin, and that brings them to Jesus, but He also convicts those of us who are Christians are trying to follow the Lord, convicts us when we don't. And it feels bad.
0: And I think part of that is you just can't live that way. When When you know Christ, it it's just going to eat you alive to live in sin. I mean, and when you have the Holy Spirit in you and you continue in sin, he is going to make you feel every second of it. So just quit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I know it's not that easy. Oh gosh, I but, wish it were. <laughs> but start taking the steps, start making the yeah. right moves because you don't want to live that way. You don't want to live in just shame and, and I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying God doesn't want that for you. He loves you and he cares about you. And he wants you called out of whatever you're living in and, and that's part of why we why we have church, and we'll get into that next we'll week. We'll
1: get into that next week. Maybe we can talk to you about uh, the Spirit's role in our salvation. Yeah. That'll kind of lead us into the church, I think. Yeah. We can just maybe say a couple of things
0: about that. Sweet. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, whatever you're listening on, leave us a like, a comment, subscription, whatever. Um you can send any questions you have for us, any topics you might like us to cover, um, to salty saints at become And uh yeah, stay salty.
1: It's a crazy world out there, moms and dads. I'm Catherine Seegers, host of Christian Parent. Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.